16. We're going to read it in a second, but I just want to give a quick little intro here. Um, we have been studying this book on Sundays and in small groups. How many of you enjoying the book of Ephesians? This book is rich and full of truth, right? As is every book of the Bible. But I tell you, every time I study a book of the Bible, that becomes my favorite book while I'm studying it. Because I start thinking, I just start realizing, wow, this is full of rich things that God wants me to take hold of, right? Now, The book of Ephesians, let me just do a little bit of teaching here before we start, is divided neatly into two parts. The first part is the part that we just finished. That's chapters 1 to 3, okay? And that is a specific part of the book that's focused on a specific aspect of our Christian life. But now we're entering into the second half of the book, which is focused on a different topic. The first half of the book, chapters 1 to 3, is focused on our position in Christ, Amen? We are saved. We are redeemed. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Amen? Boy, I tell you, we heard some good gospel preaching last weekend. I'm starting to feel a little bit of fire in me to get a little passionate about the cross and about the gospel. Is there anything better to get passionate about? No. That is, we are saved by the blood of Jesus. Oh, praise God. Now that's the first half of the book. Our position in Christ, we're seated with him in heavenly places, amen? You see me here right now, but actually I'm sitting in heaven as well. And so are you if you're bought with the blood of Jesus, if you put your hope in him. But now Paul moves on to the second half of the book. By the way, that first half is called justification, okay? We are saved, we are justified, that's what it's called. It's a big word, but basically it just means you're in Christ. The second half of the book is another word called sanctification, Chapters 4 to 6 are all about how we're supposed to live now. Amen? It's really great to have a salvation experience. It's really great to experience being washed in the blood of Jesus, being cleansed, being forgiven. I love that part. But that's not the end of the story. And if you stop there, you won't get into the fullness of what God has for us as believers. I tell you, a lot of people just hang out there. Praise God, I'm saved. And I'm just going to stay here. And I don't need to do anything else because God's grace covers me. And it does. But we are called to go on from there into a life that is all about Jesus. We've got to live for him. So the second uh, half of the book is about our sanctification. Walking it out. And how we do that. You need both parts of the book. You can't do one without the other. You can't do justification without entering into sanctification. And if you start with sanctification, trying to clean your life up, before you understand that you're in Christ, you'll get bound up in legalism and you'll just feel completely helpless to do this thing. Okay, so we need both parts. So as we come into this second half of Ephesians, I want you to think, this is how I'm supposed to live. Whatever Paul says here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's time to put it into practice. Okay, so we're going to read this together before we get into it. Ephesians 4, verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things with himself. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word this morning. God, I ask that it would penetrate our hearts. Lord, that we would not just be hearers of your word. God, that we would be doers of all that is in your heart to do. We would not just sit here, Lord, and hear it and say, that's nice. Oh, God, give us the grace to walk even as you walked. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's absolutely no way I can cover this whole uh, 16 verses in the amount of time that we have. But I'm going to give it a pretty good shot, okay? So the first thing I want to start is with Paul's greeting. It's really significant how Paul introduces. First of all, he says, therefore. Therefore basically means in light of everything that we just discussed in chapters 1 to 3. So in other words, if you don't have a good handle on chapters 1 to 3, it's probably a good idea to go home and read it at some point. Don't read it now. While I'm preaching, you'll be like, well, I'll just do this because I don't want to listen to him. Go home and read it if you don't have a good grasp on 1 to 3 because you need a good grasp of 1 to 3 to get 4 to 6. Okay, he says, therefore, in light of all this stuff, I, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, I love what Richard did the the other week. He showed us that prison cell, yeah? And uh, I never want to be there, but I want to be ready in case I have to suffer for Christ. But you know, there's a lot of titles in the world. A lot of people uh, enjoy titles because it brings honor to themselves, right? They say, well, I'm, uh, I'm a musician. I'm a prophet. I'm this, I'm that. But you know what Paul says? I'm just a prisoner. That's, hum- that's humility, isn't it? I'm just a prisoner of Jesus. I love that. I love that. And you know what? Someone who's suffered for Christ immediately has an authority to speak about the things of God, right? And that's why I want to encourage every single one of us to go to hear Brother Yun next Saturday night because he's suffered for Christ. So everything he has to say is worth hearing, yeah? Because he's been through hell for the sake of Jesus, yeah? 
And I tell you what, I want to hear what he has to say. Because guess what? Times of persecution are coming. That's what the Bible says. Trouble is coming. So we can gain wisdom and insight and strength by hearing the words of men and women who've gone through those things by the grace of God. Amen. So that Paul says, I'm just a prisoner of Christ. And he, but we know he's an apostle, right? He's like written most of the New Testament. So whatever he's about to tell us is significant, right? But I want to say this. The next word that he uses is beseech you. Now, we don't really use that word much anymore. I haven't used that, and I've never used that word, actually. This last week, I can't remember a time using the word beseech. But basically, it means this. I beg you. I plead with you. Now, if someone comes up to you and says, listen, I'm begging with you. I'm pleading with you. You know they've got something really significant to say. If they just come up to you and say, well, you know, I kind of have something I'd like to talk to you about. It'd be really nice if you could listen. You don't really sense the urgency in that, do you? But Paul says, I beg you, I beseech you. After all the things he said in chapters 1 to 3, he says, now I beg you to listen to me. So what I'm going to tell you is this right now. If you don't listen to what he's about to say, if I don't listen to what he's about to say, all of 1 through 3 becomes completely insignificant because of this truth that he's about to give us. Okay? And it's, it's glorious. Okay? It goes like this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I beg you to walk worthy. You know, the Christian life is characterized by a lot of different phrases. Paul talks about it as a race in some parts of the Bible. Uh, it's in a lot of different places, but the most common terminology for the Christian life is the Christian walk. And what is a Christian walk except one foot in front of the other walking in the right direction? Yeah? And that's what Paul's challenging us with. He said, you've heard all these glorious truths. You've heard all these wonderful things. Now I just want you to walk one step at a time, one foot in front of the other in the right direction. We can walk in a lot of different directions, right? We can do a lot of different things in our own strength, with our own wisdom. God is saying through the Apostle Paul, it's time to walk in the right way, in the right direction, one step at a time. You don't need to jump five steps. You don't need to understand it all right now. But you've got to start walking. You've got to start walking. And if you don't walk, all that stuff that comes before is nullified. Because now it's time to walk. So I like to people watch. That's one of my pastimes. I don't get to do it that much because I'm pretty busy. But um, because I travel a lot in coming back and forth from the United States to here, I get to go to airports. Airports are a great place to just watch people. There's thousands of people. In, in, going in a thousand different directions from all these different parts of the world. And I just sit there and I just kind of watch them. Not in a creepy way or anything. But I just, I just like to watch people. Because when you watch people, you learn a lot, right? You learn a lot of different things. Um, and you see how people behave. And I believe Paul was a people watcher. That's my excuse anyway. It's helping me to justify my uh, enjoyment of watching people do what they do. But Paul traveled around to a lot of different places, a lot of different churches. And Paul would see a lot of different things. Now, if you read the book of Corinthians, you know he saw some crazy stuff. 
saw some flaky stuff going on in the church. He also saw some really legalistic stuff going on. If you read Galatians, some really rigid kind of, you know, religious behavior going on in the church. He saw a lot of different things. He observed a lot of different things. So when Paul says it's, he, he pleads with us, right? He's not just saying it'd be nice if you walked worthy. He says, I'm begging you to walk worthy. My, what I see there is that he's observed people walking in an unworthy fashion. Amen? It's possible to walk this Christian walk in a way that is not pleasing to God. Now that's a hard word. But you know what? We've got to take the word of God personally. You've got to think this morning. You can't be like, this word's for the guy next to me. That person who's like, when they worship, they just go crazy. Like, they need to hear this. Like, when this, that person who said something nasty to me, they need to hear this. No, God's speaking to me right now. And God's speaking to you as an individual. He's saying, you walk worthy of the calling. Don't worry about other people and what they're doing. You walk worthy in light of all these things that you've come to know. So in the first three chapters, again, I'm kind of, I really want to get this into our system, okay? Get it into our spirit. We're accepted by God. We have an eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. We have an eternal destiny and purpose. That's the gospel. When we tell people about Jesus, it's because we want them to enter into what we've entered into. I just love that verse. I've already said it once before, that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. That you are seated with him. Our soul is seated with Christ. That is just amazing. Actually, it's our spirit that's seated with him. Our spirit is seated with Christ in heavenly places. But what Paul is saying is now that you're in Christ, it's time to make sure you stay in Christ. Walk in it. Don't neglect it. There's a verse, 1 John 2, 6. If you're really fast, you can turn there before I read it, but I don't think anybody's that fast. 1 John 2, 6. One of my favorite verses. And one of the most challenging verses. It says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Anybody walking just as Jesus walked this morning? Well, that's challenging. But you know what? We look at that verse sometimes, and we look at what Paul's saying, walk worthy, and we think, I don't know if I can do that. I've got a lot of baggage. I've got a lot of flaws. I've got a lot of faults. Listen, by God's grace, the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to walk just as Jesus walked. Amen? I'll tell you what, God does not give us commands that he does not equip us to walk in. He gives us every command, and he equips us with the Holy Spirit so that we can do it. Not so we think, oh, that's a really nice idea. That's nice, God. I, uh, it's a good one. No, he's saying, do it. And he's not saying, like, do it. Like, if you don't do it, he's saying, I'm going to help you do it. You know, it's a partnership, right? We talked about that when we went through the, that series on the Holy Spirit. It's us and the Holy Spirit. It's us and God doing this thing together. I love that. So today, I just want to challenge you. I really felt as I was preparing this, God wants us all to go up a level. Yeah? To move on in our Christian walk. Maybe you're just a baby Christian, just got saved. God's saying, come on, now it's time to walk. You know, baby's got to learn how to walk. If baby doesn't learn how to walk, the parents are thinking, what is going on here? What is wrong with this baby? It's like five years old, still not walking. And the, the, the parents are thinking, what is going on with it? Either they just love being babied, or they just, they'll never be able to walk. 
And I think God sometimes looks at us and says the same thing. Is, are you ever going to actually start walking? Are you just going to enjoy my grace? Are you just going to enjoy my salvation? Are you just going to enjoy the goodness that I've poured out on you? It's time to walk. If we want to please his heart, we've got to start walking. Okay? And if you've been a Christian for years, it's time to go to the next level. I just felt this phrase for you this morning. God said there's new levels of obedience that he wants you to enter into. New levels of obedience. You might think, man, I'm really doing good. I'm really, you know, hot for God and hot for his will and pursuing him with all I got. There's new levels of obedience. There's new levels of discipline to seek God and spend time in his word and pray. You know, man, I feel that God's calling me into some things that I've been putting off for a while. You got these prayer lists and these times of prayer, and I'll tell you what, we went, we went through a, a, a time last year where we talked about prayer, right? And I, I was up here preaching, and I said, set a time on your phone, like, so the alarm goes off, and you know that's my time to pray. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, my alarm's been going off ever since then, and I have been praying some, but I know I need to step into it more, right? I knew when that alarm goes off, I got to create that space, build that upper room for Jesus, Okay? Um, And I just want to challenge you. Salvation is wonderful, and it is an awesome experience. And I don't know if there's anything greater than seeing somebody come to Jesus. It's just incredible. I mean, last week we saw, I don't know how many people come to Jesus, and it was awesome. Um, And we got to go find them and make sure they get in here and get discipled, right? Wherever they are, and if you're here today, that's awesome. But we want to make sure we follow that up. But here's the thing. Salvation, again, is chapters 1 to 3. That's not the end of the story, right? We got to have a full picture of what this thing called salvation is. I have been saved, but I'm still being saved, and so are you. And we won't fully be saved until we get to glory, but we're going to be progressively being saved more and more as we continue to yield ourselves and surrender our hearts to God and keep going deeper. But I want to read you a passage here. We can abort the work of salvation. I know there's people out there that say once saved, always saved, and I tell you, it's just not biblical. I don't believe it. We have a choice in this. We have, it's a partnership, and we can leave the partnership, okay? And Matthew 7, 21 is a verse. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there because it's, it's a, a really significant verse. Matthew 7, 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? That's a pretty amazing thing to do. We did mighty works in your name. I mean, mighty works encompasses a lot of things. Big things. Awesome things. And then will I declare to them, that's Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, those are some pretty harsh words. I wouldn't come up with those personally. <laughs> I wouldn't say them of my own uh, imaginings. But Jesus said them. And what, I don't, I'm not saying this to, to get us freaked out. Oh, God, I'm going to lose my salvation. Like, if, I, if I'm not... We have to walk circumspectly, the Bible says. Meaning, we have to be, have, live carefully. It's a narrow road, isn't it? Therefore, if we're not careful, we'll slip off it. So you don't just kind of casually stroll down the Christian life. You have to pay attention. You've got to be vigilant. You've got to be circumspect in your walk. But basically what I want to say about this verse 
is that God blesses us before we deserve it. Isn't that great? I love that. I did not deserve salvation when I got saved, and neither did you. And when you prayed for that guy and he got healed, you didn't deserve to, for God to pour his power in you. And when you prophesied, that was God's grace. Because I know none of us had a perfect life when that happened, right? That's God's grace. That's his goodness. But do not confuse the blessing of God with the approval of God. Can I say it again? Do not confuse God using you to do things as his approval of your walk. We need to be those who desire to delight his heart. And I, I tell you what, God can use me to preach. God can use me to lead worship. But that does not give me the right to think God is approving of everything I'm doing in my life. Absolutely not. He's saying, come up higher. He's saying, I'm going to bless you because of my grace. But we want to be those who are in, living in God's approval and delighting his heart. I tell you what, that's why God loved David. We all know David had some issues, right? Serious issues. Murderer, adulterer, liar. The list goes on. And God still used him. Did God approve of those things? Absolutely not. And guess what? He was judged for those things. And he was disciplined very harshly for those things. But he had a heart that when he was dealt with, he said, Jesus, I just, God, I just want to delight your heart. I just want to delight your heart. Yeah? So anyway, if you do those things, great. If you uh, have a prophetic gift, if you uh, lay hands on the sick, all those things are great. But do not think that that means your lifestyle is okay. Examine yourself. It's time to walk the right way. Okay, here we go. Jumping ahead. Ephesians 4 verse 2, okay. Walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And verse 2 says, with all lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen? Listen, we're talking about real unity here. And walking worthy of the calling, a fruit of walking worthy is that we will have unity in this church. I love the fact that we have a pastor here who has a heart for unity across the churches of this community, right? And across the churches of this nation, even. I mean, he's probably even got a global, like, picture of, like, unity. He talks about it so much, right? But God's saying, that's, that's good, and he loves that, but he likes there to be unity right here, too, because we got to practice what we preach, right? And if we're going to be a beacon of unity in, in this region, guess what? We've got to have unity here. Now, that does not mean we agree on every theological point. Amen? I know, that, I know that I disagree with some of you on a few theological points, but not the main points. It doesn't mean unif- unity is not uniformity, where everyone's like synchronized in every single aspect of everything. But no, we have one spirit. We, ha- we know that there's one body. We know that there's one Father. We know there's one Savior. His name's Jesus. And I tell you what, we got to get over the other little niggles. We don't need to go into end-time eschatology right now because I know we'll have a few disagreements, right? But the reality is 
that's okay. There's got to be a little bit of freedom for us to disagree on the points that the Bible is not dogmatic about. Okay? Amen. Just a few points that Paul gives. He says there's four essential elements to true unity. The first one is humility. Now, these are, for, these are not just for Liberty Church. These are for us as individuals in Liberty Church. So you need it, I need it. Humility is the first one. And basically, that's just don't think of yourself too highly. And another way of putting it, someone said, is you see yourself as God sees you. And when you see yourself as God sees you, that's, that's very humbling because he sees it all. He sees everything. He sees the, the public things. He sees the private things. He sees the attitudes and everything else. Okay? So humility. We, need, we just have to have humility. Number two thing that we have to have for true unity is meekness. Meekness is when a person is not concerned about being right all the time. Now, there's things we need to be concerned about being right about, and then there's things we don't. And we got to be careful that we don't get dogmatic, again, about things that are not significant. And it's also a person who is, cons- who is not concerned about their reputation. You know, when you're concerned about your, your, your reputation, if somebody says anything about you that's even remotely negative, you freak out. You're like, wait a second. That means people are going to look at me funny. That means people are going to think something bad about me. That means people are going to think such and such and such. Come on, it's time to grow up. Get over it. People are going to say things. People are going to do things. Oh, well. We've got to have unity. We've got to be meek people. Moses was called the meekest man that ever lived. And I tell you, he dealt with a lot of stuff. A lot of disgruntled, backbiting people in the children of Israel. But he still let God fight his battles. Now, there's a time to fight our battles. There's time to go to people and say, hey, you need to stop saying this. It's, that's slanderous and gossip. But there's also a time where you just need to say, I'm going to let God vindicate me. Okay? You've got to have real humility to do that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I get it right all the time. But we've got to pursue it. The third one is patience. And patience, uh, there's a lot of definitions, but I like this one. It's a word that's not in the English language anymore. It's long-tempered. Yeah? When was the last time you heard that word? We've got to be long-tempered. That means it takes us a really, really, really long time to get upset. Yeah? There you go. I don't need to say anything else about that. And number four is forbearance. Forbearance is making allowance for each other's faults. We're not perfect. None of us are. We're going to make mistakes. And how we respond when we make those mistakes and how we respond when we're corrected is significant. But we've got to recognize we're not perfect. And we've got to make allowance for those things. And we can't be completely shocked when someone doesn't quite match up to what we thought. Right? Because we're human beings. We're flawed. One preacher said we're fatally flawed. But thank God for his grace. Okay, let's jump ahead here. I'm aware that time is ticking, so I'm just going to actually jump a few verses ahead. Um, Verse 11 says this. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness 
of Christ. Whatever gift we have is God-given, okay? Whether it's a spiritual gift or a natural gift, it's God-given. We need to recognize that. But the other thing we need to recognize is this. Our gifting is not for ourselves. It's for others, yeah? I think someone said that recently up here. It wasn't me, but when, I think it was Adrian, when we are gifted by God, or when he pours out the gifts of the Holy Spirit into us, it is not for me to hold it all to myself and be a hoarder of the gifts of God, right? It's to distribute them and share them. God keeps pouring in, I keep pouring out. It's a good life, yeah? Pouring in and pouring out. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they're here to equip us. Now, I'm not up here to, to proclaiming to be any, any of those right now. I'm just saying the people that preach and the people that teach and the people that have a prophetic gifting, they are here. They are gifts that God's given the church. Not just so that we can have a good time, but to equip us to walk worthy. That's why when your pastor preaches, it's good to listen and take notes, whether in your head or on paper. I always find it helpful to take it on paper because I can't remember a, a blessed thing after I leave. You know, by the time the evening service comes around, I can't remember anything. So I need to have it there so I can go back and refer to it. Right? And the thing is, this place is not just a place where we come to give all our attention to God. Now, don't shoot me down yet, okay? I'm going to finish this. I'm going to qualify this statement. Church is a place of worship. It's all about Jesus. But in his divine wisdom, he's made it a place of equipping. In his divine wisdom, we come to receive as well. And if you think it's just about me coming and giving, 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 that's brilliant, by the way, you'll never enter into the fullness of what this place is about. Because God wants you to leave here with some equipment. So I like to view Liberty Church as an armory. Yeah? Not just a place of worship, although that's beautiful and wonderful, but an armory where I come, I pick up weapons to do warfare with the enemy. And if you have that mindset, you're looking for those weapons that God wants to give you for every battle. Now, it's not all about church. We don't get all our weapons here. We get them in the prayer closet. We get them in our personal times with God. But we got to start viewing it as God, equip me to do what you've called me to do. Amen? All right, I'm going to finish with this thought, okay? Ah, yes, doing good. Remember that time I preached for like an hour and a half, and it was like, everyone was like, just stop preaching. I'm really starting to... I'm starting to get there. I'm getting there. That was a long time ago. Hey, hey. Okay, the last point is verse 14. Verse 14, I love this part. And I, this goes right along with the walk worthy. And I think Paul's just, again, he keeps hitting this point. As you read through Ephesians, just he's going to keep banging on this point. Walk worthy. It says this, 14, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Jesus. Now listen, God's desire for us is to be mature. Or maybe, do you guys say mature? Mature, one of those, right? Mature. He wants us to grow up. I used to like Peter Pan when I was young, okay? Peter Pan was one of my favorites. I loved, I mean, the, the Disney was great, but Hook, now that was good. Did anybody see Hook? So funny, so great. I love that movie. Uh, anyway, 
Um, one of the taglines in Peter Pan is, I'll never grow up, right? And part of me is like, yeah, I never want to grow up either. It's so much fun, like, being a young person and um, being a, a kid. And, uh, but you know what? God's desire for us is not that we would stay kids. Yeah, even though I love Peter Pan and I love Hook and I love the fun. And we're still able to have fun, but we've got to grow up. We've got to mature. If we can't have a mindset of a child in our Christian faith, we're in trouble. And I'll tell you why in a minute, why we're in trouble. But it's attractive to God, and it's attractive to parents when not, not only, I mean, parents love, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I've talked to a lot of parents, right? The parents love it when they have a baby. My sister just had a baby last year, and now she's having another one in October, which is really exciting. And I know how excited she is about that, and my brother-in-law. And that's a great moment. And, but you know what's probably better? Maybe some of you parents can confirm this or not confirm it. Um, when your child grows up to be a responsible, mature adult who's making the right decisions and not just like throw, making stupid choices and ruining their life. Now, I understand there's people in here who maybe their, their sons or daughters aren't walking with the Lord. Hey, God's going to bring them back in Jesus' name. Let's believe that together. But it is really pleasing to God and really pleasing to parents when they're young people that they've spent, invested all that time in, they do the right things. They make the right decisions. Okay? What's not attractive to God is this. And I'm just going to say this because I felt like it was what the Lord wanted me to say. A community of babies. Right? Um, what do babies do? They, they throw tantrums, right? Babies always throw tantrums. They're always arguing amongst themselves. Now, I'm not saying I dislike babies or anything, okay? But they are really, they really struggle to get along, okay? They really make a lot of noise, all right? And sometimes that's cute, that is cute. But if it goes on until the age of 30, and they're still throwing tantrums and rolling around the church, banging their hands and feet, that is not cute anymore. That's disturbing, all right? That's really disturbing, and I don't want to see it. That's a scary picture. All right? They're always tantrums, arguing, crying about something, blaming others. We've got to be humble. And some, now, unfortunately, sometimes those descriptions fit the church. A lot of arguing, a lot of complaining, a lot of bickering, a lot of pointing the finger. Okay, we've all done that. We've all been there. By God's grace, let's get out of there. Let's, let's grow on to maturity and not mess around in that place anymore. Uh, just a quick question for you. How do you know if you're, you're childish? I've got to ask myself the same questions. How do you know? And uh, here's just a few things to help us. Um, I don't want us to leave here wondering, you know, if, if we need to make some adjustments in our life and if I need to make some adjustments in my life. Because as we make adjustments, God's blessing and favor comes on us, right? When we respond to his voice in obedience. So how do you know if you're being a child? Or having a childish mindset. One uh, earmark is that they keep changing their minds. One day it's one thing. The next day it's something totally different. There's not that stability. One day they're up. One day they're down. Unpredictability. One minute they're happy. One minute they're not. I mean really not. They're screaming and shouting and making a whole lot of noise. Uh, one minute they have a mature outlook. The next minute they're irresponsible. One day they're making good decisions. One day they're 
you turn around for a second, they're making a big mess, right? Instability and inconsistency are those characteristics of a child. We don't want to have those in our Christian life. We don't want to have those in this church. I don't want to be one of those babies in the church that's bringing a bad name to Jesus. Yeah. Now listen, when you just get saved, that's a whole other issue. You're a baby. You're not going to know what's going on. You're like, this is weird. This is crazy. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. And guess what, Christians? we got to have a lot of grace and patience for people in that situation. So don't get legalistic on me. Don't get judgmental. If someone's behaving that way, if they're a baby Christian, do not expect the work of God to take place in a moment. We've got to have some grace, some real grace. And that's, that's godly compassion, okay? Now, hopefully they don't stay there. But what really disturbs me is when someone's been a Christian for years and they're throwing a tantrum about something. That is disturbing. And that is not godly. And we've got to get over that. Um, and the last thing I want to say, I know time's ticking here, but this is uh, something I really felt on my heart, and um, we're living in serious times. We're living in the end times. I believe that. Now, we might not be living in the last, last days. We're definitely in the last days, okay? Things are happening all around the world at an accelerated rate, and God is moving by his spirit, but the enemy is moving by his spirit, right? And we can see it. It's, it's very obvious, um, and one of the main qualities or characteristics of the end times is this deception, deception. Okay. Now, guess what? Nobody plans to be deceived. Yeah. Nobody thinks I'm going to like, I'm going to be one of the ones that gets deceived. No, we, we think in our mind doing good. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get there. But the Bible says a lot of people are going to get deceived in the end times. There's just a few Things, but one of the things I want to say is if you're not mature, if you're a baby, you're high risk for deception. Okay? Now, apply that to yourself. Manny, apply it to you. If you are immature, a baby, in your Christian faith, you are high risk for deception. All that stuff in verses one to three, or chapters one to three, can be nullified because the enemy doesn't want you to make it. Did you know that? He does not want you and I to make it. And he will do whatever it takes to make us not make it. To destroy our faith. To destroy our salvation experience. So there's just a few doctrines out there right now that I just want to pinpoint so that you can see it. Because these doctrines are straight from demonic inspiration. Okay? And one of them is this. The hyper-grace doctrine. Okay? The hyper-grace doctrine is a doctrine that says we're under the grace of God. Hallelujah. We can live the way we want. We don't have to, be, we don't have to walk a certain way. We don't have to walk worthy. We don't have to uh, live circumspectly in our life. We don't have to think about our behavior so much. It's all under God's grace and under his blood. False. That is false. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Because the, my Bible says that many will come to Jesus and he'll say, you didn't do what was in my father's heart. You said, Lord, you called me Lord. You said I was Lord of your life. You said I was king, but your lifestyle didn't add up. That is not God's word. That's a doctrine of men and demons. The second one is prosperity doctrine. This is all over the world. It's been around for a long time, and we really like it. Because it says everything's going to be good. 
You pray for a, a Ferrari and God's going to give it to you. Now that's a little bit outrageous, right? But what it does say is whatever you ask God, he's able to give you. And if you give, give, the more you give, the more you'll get. That is not biblical. There is blessing when we give. There is no certainty that our life is going to be pain-free, easy, or filled with riches. Not biblical. I, in my Bible, it says Jesus, Jesus says you will have trouble. Now, I, I don't know how that fits in the prosperity doctrine, but anyway, we'll just go with that, okay? Be of good cheer, though. Be of good cheer. He's on top of it all. Amen? And the last one is universalism. This one really disturbs me because it basically says there is no hell. And that is out there today. And I'll tell you this. All three of those doctrines, there are millions of people flocking to preachers and teachers of those doctrines. And they're all false. But guess what? They sound really good. They sound really good. To my emotions, to my heart, they sound really good. But they're not. The enemy wants to trick you. And if you're a baby, you're going to be like, cool, this is great. I want whatever you're, that sounds great. I'm going to go for it. Because that's what babies do. You just hold a little chocolate in front of them and they just go crazy. Right? Don't be like that. Walk worthy. Get into your Bible. Get into your prayer closet. Remember what Richard said and what, well, Paul said it, but Richard quoted it. <laughs> uh, Strengthen the inner man. Strengthen the inner man. Prayer, getting in the word, spending time in worship. That's what's going to preserve us and strengthen us. I just have a few verses to, to run this point home, and then I'll close. Matthew 24, 4 says this. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Not a few. We're talking about thousands. We're talking about millions. It's already happening. We've got to be mature enough to see what is true and what is false. Matthew 24, 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Even if you're mature, you better be in your prayer closet. Even if you're mature, you better know God's word because deception is 95% true. Sounds so good, uses the right terminology, but it's false. We got to know. Second Timothy, I'll finish with this verse. Second Timothy 4, 3 to 4. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. They will look for teachers and preachers and pastors who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Listen, I don't want to be one of those people. And I don't want you to be, and you don't want to be. Listen, let's just pray together that God helps us to walk worthy. Yeah? There's a worthy way to walk. I want to walk worthy of Jesus. I bear his name. He's my father. His blood runs through our veins as a community. We are family. But we can walk in a way that dis discourages his heart. He says, wow, all that I've done for them, all that I've given them, and they're just doing their own thing. They're just walking their own way. No, we've got to respond to his word. We've got to walk in obedience to this word. Even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable, it's about walking worthy on the narrow road, which leads to glory.
Amen? And we all want to be there together, don't we? I don't want anybody missing. Yeah? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you for your salvation this morning. I want to thank you that we have access to the holiest place by the blood of Jesus. I want to thank you, God, that you came, you died for us. Lord, you gave your life for us so that we could be a new creation, a new man. Oh, Lord, help us to not receive that grace in vain. Help us to not just receive it and go on living however we want to live. Lord, you're calling us to something so much greater, so much higher. We want to reflect you in our behavior. We want to reflect you in our walk. Lord, we want to put one foot in front of the other, walking in the right direction, living to please you. Jesus, I thank you that it's your grace that enables us to walk in such a way. Lord, help us as we go out of here today, Lord, to walk the way you walked and the way you want us to walk even now. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Get walking.